The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 18-plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. (laughs) Um, I hope that you've been doing well. I hope that you're enjoying the spring-like weather. Here in New York, it's it's doing its spring thing. It's like 40 degrees one day and like 75 the next. <laughs> but I, I didn't realize how much I've actually missed like warmer weather and like the sun setting later. Um, I guess I just hunkered down this winter knowing it was going to be like a long, challenging winter at home. Um, and I just kind of put my blinders on to what <laughs> it was like outside and just did what I do. Um, and now that it's starting to be lighter and warmer, um, I actually feel like more hopeful and happy. Um, I mean, obviously there are other reasons for that, but, (laughs) um, I, I definitely know that that has something to do with it. Um, also speaking of hopeful and happy, I have gotten my second dose of vaccine, I am officially fully vaccinated. I got the Pfizer vaccine at City Field where the Mets play here in Queens. Um, it was nothing like my first experience of getting the, the the shot where I waited four and a half hours. I pretty much like got in and out within 25 minutes, which was a relief. Um, but yeah, I also got really sick after the first, sorry, the second shot. First shot, I was like kind of headachey and like tired, um, mildly achy. The second shot, I was like whoa, like really, really not feeling great. So um, just prepare yourself for that if you do get it. Um, I do think you should get it so that we can all get back to normal. I want to teach it some summer programs. I want to put on some performances. I want to do it indoors with live with people and not doing it on a camera and putting on YouTube. Um, But yeah, so that is exciting and hopeful. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm just really grateful. I just actually, right before I got onto this uh, recording, um, saw that I think something like 12 or 13% of New Yorkers are fully vaccinated. And it's cool that I'm able to be one of those people. And especially like on the one year anniversary of like when everything just started to go crazy. Like I'm recording this on Thursday night. Um, tomorrow, Friday is the 26th of March. And that was like the day that all chaos, I mean, it was like getting worse, getting worse, getting worse, but like the beginning of like one of the worst periods of my life. So, um, it's crazy to think that within a year of that experience that I'm, I'm vaccinated and hopefully will be mostly protected, uh, within the next week now. So yay for that. Um, yeah, 
What else? I'm I'm traveling for the first time on a plane in two weeks. I was really nervous to to go, um, but what happened was I was I'm teaching and judging at the main stage uh, competition and convention in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, and I was supposed to do it last year and it got canceled because of COVID and they rescheduled it like way in advance. And when we started getting into conversations about it again, I was like, well, I, I want to do it, but I don't know if I'm going to be vaccinated. And I was really nervous to go. So I'm really excited that I'm going to be vaccinated before we go. And I'm, I'm excited to finally like start doing what I used to do and just like meet new communities and share dance with everybody from like recreational dancers in Iowa um, up to professional dancers that are waiting to get back on stage uh, in on Broadway and in professional ballet companies. So um, yeah, I'm doing that. What else? Uh, I'm pretty sure my next episode is going to be my fifth anniversary episode, which is just crazy. I need to think of something special to do for that episode. So um, but yeah, five years of pot of chat talking dance. We started as a weekly episode and then slowly I started to uh bridge out into the bi-weekly uh, uh bi-monthly and uh, bi-weekly I think they both actually mean the same thing but yeah uh start branching onto that and I've barely ever missed a week <laughs> you actually hear my voice my voice I have I need to figure out what's going on with my voice ever since I got sick like a year and a half ago I've been losing it quickly but <laughs> I don't want to lose my voice I want to keep on doing these podcasts um, but yeah, it's just crazy to think that I have been coming up with regular content, um, so many times ever, like every single year for five years. It's just, it's very exciting. So hopefully we'll find a way to celebrate that. Um, what else is happening in our regular update? I'm going to be filming a new pod de deux for online release with Movement Headquarters. I'm working with two of my company artists, Camilla Rodriguez and David Huckberg, and uh, we will be putting that out sometime in the next month. I'm I'm excited to show it to you. It's a very like William Forsythe inspired pas de deux. Um, for me, it was just nice to get back in the studio and start working with uh, two dancers together, one on point, um, and just to be able to create. So that's kind of where I am. I'm taking little baby steps. We're doing creations here and there, and I'm actually getting ready to uh focus on a full evening length performance um which i i guess i can i can talk about um movement headquarters we're gonna have our first live performances on the 26th and 27th of june we're gonna do a program called solostis i'm still planning on working mostly with individual dancers for covid uh reasons um but it's going to be a celebration of the sol solstice uh the summer solstice through solo works. We're going to be performing them at Ballet Arts in City Center, which is, uh, they're pretty much like the studios that Balanchine created many of his most iconic ballets in because before Lincoln Center was built, uh, New York City Ballet performed at City Center and rehearsed at City Center. So um, there's some great history there. And I'm, I'm really excited to dream again about like what we did not what we do, but like what we did. I'm excited to get back into that. Um, I'm also looking at uh, a return of our Love Letter outdoor installation performances in August, where we go around to New York City parks and offer free performances and movement classes for the public. Um, so yeah, that's that's cool. Um, and what I guess the last thing is I 
I'm not ready to tell you guys yet, but I have some very exciting news about in-person classes coming up soon. So if you are a former student of mine who has not been able to take class because uh, classes have been closed in New York City, or if you uh, have wanted to take class for me, I will have some information about in-person classes coming up soon because uh, New York is finally reopening, uh, what are they called? In-person fitness classes, which uh, apparently they categorize places like Broadway Dance Center and Steps on Broadway into that. So that's exciting news. So much is happening. I, I It's weird. I feel hopeful, but I feel like, what's the word? Trepidatious? Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, but I'm feeling hopeful because it does seem like we're going in a positive direction to reopen and because I'm vaccinated. But then you watch the news and they're like, just because you're vaccinated, we don't know if it really works. Like against these variants and the variants and then the numbers, they were going down, but now they're steady and maybe going up. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to just like relax and be like, yay, until we're in it, like in it in a good way, like back to normal, but not even realizing it. Um, but yeah, so I'm feeling hopeful uh, just even to have these these things to focus on coming up this summer is, is really exciting. Um, and this, like getting to travel to Iowa, like I, I just hope that I can get back to, to what I do. So I hope that you are all experiencing the same thing and you're also being safe while you're at it. Okay, um, I was thinking of episodes that I could do today and I I try to change it up. This is Pod to Chat Talking Dance. And um, I was actually talking to my husband and I was telling him the topic that I was planning on doing. And he was like, well, that seems like it might be more for like kids. Um, and I just reminded him, this is talking dance. I talk about everything from recreational dance to professional dance, um, from ballet to contemporary musical theater, um, more ballet and contemporary. Cause that's what I know. Um, but I've talked about those other things. I talk about choreography. I talk about directing. I talk about being a professional dancer. I talk about pre-professional training and everything in between. So, um, I decided that today's topic is going to discuss, um, being ready to move away from home to train. Um, Training to dance professionally in ballet is unlike most anything. The trajectory of training for most students who will become professional dancers goes kind of like this. Uh, you start just like with creative movement classes or uh, like a beginner basic level ballet class for kids. Um, you train at a home studio and then you um, maybe you go from like a class a week to like two classes a week. And slowly that builds to like three to four to five to seven, however more you're doing, 10. Um, and then maybe you start auditioning for summer intensives that are attached to larger schools. And you go to those for like a week to six weeks. Um, and for the most part, you go back to your home studio and you continue training and Maybe you do a competition like Youth America Grand Prix, or maybe uh, you focus completely in your studio. Um, then again, you go to summer intensives, and then maybe you get asked to stay for a year-round program uh, in a professional training program. Um, from there, usually students are offered a traineeship, a studio company contract, or an apprenticeship with a main company. Um, and if that doesn't happen, they end up auditioning for companies outside of the school that they're in. Um and most of this happens around or before the age of 18, uh, which is 
crazy because that's usually the time when kids are considering leaving home for the first time to go to college. Um, but a lot of dancers are leaving home. I mean, I left home at the age of 17. I wanted to leave home at the age of 16. I had an offer, but my mom wouldn't let me. Um, but yeah, it, it usually happens while kids are in high school, uh, as opposed to like kids are 18 and they're thinking about going to college and then they go and live in a dormitory. Um, it's, it's a bit different than that. But yeah, it's it's rare for a ballet student to receive all of their pre-professional training at their first or second home studio. When I say home studio, I, I mean like the studio that they consider their base, but that is usually in their hometown um, because it's like you go to school, you go to dance and you go home. And that's sort of what your schedule is like, where if you um, go elsewhere, I wouldn't call that necessarily your home studio. Like I still consider Chester Valley Dance Academy like my home studio. Whenever I go home, I try to visit and like check in with the director and my like my former teachers that are there still. Um, it isn't super common. I mean, of course, there are professional like there are co- professional companies that have schools attached to it, and there are students that like spend their entire childhood going through those programs and then getting into the company. But that's super rare. Usually. Even if the kids make it through most through the entire training program, they will often have to audition and go elsewhere. It's it's a very rare story to have a student start, like say at the School of American Ballet in New York City that feeds into New York City Ballet. It's very, very rare for a kid to start in the children's program of SAB, as we call it, and to uh, like say their parents live locally in New York and then they just stay in the school, get into the company. Um, it's super uncommon. So yeah, considering all of this and the generally young age of dancers, how do you know if your child or student or if you're a kid or a teen and you're listening to this, how do you know if you're ready to move away from home to attend a finishing program? Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to have some answers for you. Um, I mean, in the, in the end, <laughs> let's start at the end and then work our way backwards. Um, it's going to be a combination of factors that's going to help people make these decisions. But um, hopefully these will give you some ideas and it will help you uh, gain clarity so that you can make the best decision possible for yourself or for your kid um, or if you're a teacher that's helping guide somebody for, for your student. Um, so yeah, first... One thing definitely to consider is is age. Um, I have seen a variety of ages at different programs throughout my life, um, whether I, that means like when I was in a program, like when I went to the year-round program for the Care of Academy of Ballet or the School of American Ballet, um, or uh, watching programs like when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet and, and Houston Ballet. Um, so like being in the company and seeing students uh, in their their programs. Um, age is a big factor. And the one thing that I'm going to say for this is that like, I can give you like a general idea, but there's always going to be an exception to the rule. Um, and sometimes it's exciting to be an exception to, to, to a rule. Like you feel like you're special and like you're a prodigy, but, um, more often than not, the exception to the rule ends up, uh, burning out. So, um, that's definitely a conversation to, that, to have, but we'll get there. Um, so age, usually like the average age that somebody is going to leave home to go to a, a training program is 17 or 18 years old. I don't want you to get too tied up in that age. If, 
you're 19 or 20 because I was one of those people that I thought that I was behind. And like back in, when did I, when did I go to school? Uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, those were my years that I had left home to train. Um, back then, like the bigger companies, it was more common for dancers to get in at like 16, 17, 18. Um, so going away at 17, like right before I turned 18 felt like I have to make this happen this year. Um, when other students my age or a little or a little younger had already been doing this for like a year or two at that point if not longer um these days really like a lot of students are leaving home at at 18 19 20 usually after they finish high school um i know some companies have stopped the practice of hiring dancers under the age of 18 unless they're like ridiculously ridiculously talented um so something has shifted there. So yeah, a, a good age to move away from home is usually like 18, 19, 20, but it can happen anywhere before that all the way up to even 2021. 20, if you think about college for more like contemporary programs, modern or musical dance, uh, modern dance or musical theater, I switched those around. Um, those are usually a little bit older. It's more common to get a college degree, but when it comes to ballet, um, Usually that happens during your high school years and like the first or second year of what would be considered your college years. Um, Now, the reason for this is because there are so many uh, pre-professional training programs that don't have dormitories. Um, A dormitory is a huge expense, especially for a performing arts school. Um, It's different in college where there are so many like universities that get so much money from tuition. Um, dance schools don't have like they they try to keep their classes smaller and it's not like they have like all these different departments for people to get degrees like you're going to get your degree in dance now it's not a degree but you're going to get your training in dance so classes usually aren't going to be more than like 20 to 30 students tops um so there's a limited amount of students that they can bring in which means there's a limited amount of income which means it's gonna be more difficult so there are some schools that when I was training didn't that didn't have dormitories now do have dormitories. I believe San Francisco Ballet has one and Houston Ballet as well. Houston Ballet when I was there they were they had just built a townhouse um, that I was actually accepted into there when I was training, but I ended up going to the Kirov. Um, they had a house with like a chaperone for like six boys and six girls. Um, But yet the reason that a lot of these programs are accepting students a bit older is because a lot of dancers, they have to go move to a new city and they have to actually get an apartment on their own or with a roommate. Um, And a lot of times their parents can't come with them because it's already a major expense to to pay for a child if they're not on a scholarship of sorts. Um, So the parents have to stay home and do their job. They often have other kids. Um, but a lot of students end up in essentially like starting to live like adults. And I think that programs have had enough situations with students where they didn't finish high school and they got behind on their work or they weren't, they were mature enough to be in the studio, but they weren't mature enough to dance, sorry, to live alone, not dance alone, (laughs) to to live alone, um, or on their own. So, uh, schools have seemed lately to be pulling in students into their finishing programs like really 17 and older um 16 and 15 does happen but i i've noticed that happens more likely in the places with dormitories attached um 
when I was at the Kirov Academy of Ballet, there was a nine-year-old that lived in the dorms. And I mean, everybody in the school was like, what is happening? And it was definitely a situation where like the parent was really pushing the kid to have this career and the kid, I believe, ended up burning out from what I've heard, um, which makes sense because like living in a dormitory is not like having a parent taking care of you. There are uh, like dorm parents or resident uh, hall advisors, things like that. Um, But a kid at that age needs like boundaries and rules and guidance and uh, affection and a bunch of things that you're not going to really get in a dormitory. So um, I think that what this fan, like I was thinking about it after like years and years after it happened. And I think what happened was that the parent kind of emulated the system of training in Russia um, where kids are taken away from their, their families at a very, very young age at like 10 years old to live in these dormitories. But I think that those dormitories are set up differently. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I think that there's a different level of support for those, those kids. Um, This dormitory was not set up to care for all the needs of a nine-year-old. And while the kid made it, made it through the year, um, I'm sure that it had a lasting impact. So, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you should be moving away from home uh, any younger than 15 at the absolute earliest. But there's so many other factors if they were 15 that would go into that. Um, if a kid, if a parent thinks their their kid should train at a school and they get into it for their year-round program, um, I honestly think like under the age of 15, the parent needs to move with the kid. Um it's just at least in the United States, there there are no schools that really seem to be equipped to take care of like a a kid that's a preteen or younger. Um, obviously, summer programs different. It's it's a shorter period of time. It's kind of like a a, a camp, like a overnight type camp. Um, but when it comes to like living your life, not just like a camp for the summer, I definitely think that uh, for a year round program. 15 at the absolute, absolute, absolute earliest if they qualify under a few of the other topics I'm going to discuss. Um, so yeah, age is one thing that's going to help you determine if you're ready to move away from home to train. Um, I know you're going to think I'm going to talk about dance next, but I'm not. Um, maturity. Maturity is a big thing too. They're <laughs> like 16 for one kid is not the same for 16 for another kid. Um, you really need to look at the kid and see how mature they are. Can they do, can they go into any dance studio and generally get along with people or do they become very defensive and argumentative or do they get really, really shy and uh, sort of like cower um, into a corner? Um, If that happens, the, the kid might end up being really, really lonely and get really, really depressed. And if they, don't know how to interact well with others. Um, it's going to be very difficult when they are living on their own in a new city with the stresses of this program and trying to finish their schooling on top of it. Um, you really need a kid that is mature to move away to train. And I think that that's also part of the reason why the age of uh, students leaving for finishing programs has gotten higher over the years. I think that there were these students that were talented and then they would show up and what would end up was their what would end up happening is their talent would be squandered um because they 
would just end up in awkward or difficult situations where they weren't mature enough to um, handle the life outside of the studio. Because for dancers, yeah, life inside the studio, especially when you're training, like that becomes your life. But at the same time, you you have to find a balance. And if you're not mature enough to uh, socialize well, if you're not mature enough to uh, be able to handle certain topics that might come up, um, it's not going to be good. And I mean, things that do happen in these schools, and I'm not saying this is like a problem everywhere. Um, drinking happens. There was a dancer um, in the school at Pacific Northwest Ballet who ended up having to leave the program early um, because she would work her rear end off during the days and then she would go home and she was 17 and she would get really, really drunk and out of control. And finally the family was like, you know, it's time for her to come home. Um, that has happened. But I've also seen 15 year olds who can take great care of themselves and end up having wonderful careers where they become stars of companies. So, um, it really does depend. I think that you need to make sure that a couple things happen like maturity wise for, for kids, you need to a make sure that they understand nutrition and how to feed themselves properly. Um, even if it's in a dormitory with a cafeteria, like there are bad options for food. There are good options for food. I think it's really important that your kid knows what sex is. Um, they don't need to have had it or be in uh, like know all of the, the dirty details. But um, you have people coming of age and they're going to be amongst peers. And um, I, my friend's going to kill me for this. I'm not going to say names, but you know who you are. Um, when I was at the Kirov, I had a friend who is still I'm still friends with today. And if you said the word sex or anything sexual around her, she was homeschooled and she had very little interaction outside of her her family and the small group of people they homeschooled with. But if you said it, she would turn bright red, giggle, and then run away. Um, and granted, that was it was funny and it was immature, and we we still laugh about it today. But um, it's it's just one of those things where where it's not about fitting in. Um, it's about being mature enough to know like. This is how you use protection if you get into a situation where you want to do that. Or this is how you say no if you get into a situation where you're alone with somebody and you don't want to do that. Or this is what people are talking about so you don't feel awkward um, and so that you can it, – it's maturity. It's it, You don't have to be an adult. You don't have to have had adult experiences, but you need to do that. You also need to talk about partying and drinking and drugs um, because it does happen. It's like college except college – at a younger age, all of the things that you would want your kid to, to know and all of the maturity you would want your kid to have to, to know that like, sometimes you might do something and you might realize like, I shouldn't have done that. How do you handle that? Um, or if I do this, there might be consequences. Um, some people do do this, uh, just, or just like, like for instance, drinking across the world, people drink, um, they do it in moderation. If you've never done it, and you do find that you're going to do it. I hope you would choose not to do it, but maybe um, just know these things about drinking. Um, just go about it that way. And honestly, if you can't have that conversation with your kid, there's no way that they should be going to uh, a boarding program or uh, 
a tra- pre-professional training program in a city where they don't have a dormitory. Um, so yeah, maturity has a big thing to do with it. That nine-year-old, when I was at the Kirov, she was actually pretty mature for a nine-year-old. But I mean, she was nine. So pretty mature for a nine-year-old means she acted like she was 11. Um, <laughs> so I tell everybody that I left home at 17 and I was like a 30-year-old. And then as I became, as I got, became a professional and I finally was like, I succeeded, I can let my hair down a little bit. Um, I like very quickly reversed and I went from like 35 to like 30 to 25 to 21 to 18 to 16. Like, I feel like I actually, I did everything backwards, but you know, it worked for me. So no complaints there. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about skill level. So this one's the one that I think most people are probably thinking of when you're considering moving away from home. Um, it's exciting to be a prodigy. Um, it's very uncommon. And when it happens, not only is it exciting for the kid and the family um, and the school where the kid is from to have like their name attached to them, it's also exciting for the school that's going to take them in. Um, and a lot of times when it comes to talent, uh, people overlook those first two things that I talked about, skill, uh, not skill, maturity and age. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I have seen, uh, a handful of prodigies since I was a teen all the way up until now who they like were already in magazines, winning medals at competitions, like being flown internationally to galas to perform. And then they have like a two to three year career and then they quit. Um, and I think a, a big reason for that is, not so much because of their talent level. Like I've heard people are like, well, they, they succeeded so much when they were young, they had nowhere else, they had nowhere else up to go. But I, I, I don't fully believe that. I think what it comes down to is that their skill level did not match their maturity level um, and their age level. Uh, another, I'm jumping back, but another big thing for maturity is being able to cultivate things in your life besides dance, like beyond dance, so that you um, are more well-rounded. Because if dances your everything and you're always doing well, eventually there's going to be something that happens, whether it's an injury or you don't get casted or you don't get promoted or you get fired. Those things happen. And when the one thing that always made you feel good is not there and then you step away from it and you realize you have nothing else, you're going to be in trouble or your student or your your kid's going to be in trouble. So um, just because your kid is supremely talented does not mean that they should be going away from home. But you knew that was coming. Um, skill level is going to have a big thing to do with it. If you, um, find that your kid or your student, or if you find as a dancer that you are starting to get to a place where you're getting all the leading roles in the school and you've been doing it for a while, if you, if it's your first year, like you shouldn't be like, I'm out. Um, for me, like a big, a big thing was, uh, it wasn't so much about, I mean, yes, because I was a boy, I would get like the leading roles, but for me, it was, I mean, I remember very specifically, I was the only boy in my school, and then we had another boy, but he was younger, and he would come and go, um, the director's uh, nephew. Um, But I didn't realize what was happening until I went away and came back. So um, I loved my training. I enjoyed my teachers. I enjoyed my peers. I got to dance a lot. We did like jazz competitions. I started doing YAGP. Youth America Grand Prix, and um, then I went away to Houston Ballet Summer Program, and I was in a class with all boys, and I realized that I was much further behind than I knew, because 
for me, I was training beside all of these girls. Um, and then all of a sudden I was beside all these talented boys and I realized I needed to be beside these boys training to push me um, further. I was never going to get where I needed to be if I didn't see other people dance so I could know like I need to dance. I need to like up my technique to do this. Um, I needed that motivation. So for me, um, when I left, or sorry, when I, I, let me just step back for a second. When I, so I got into Houston Ballet's year round program when I was 16 and my mom said no. And I've talked about that in another podcast. I'm not going to get into it into too much depth on that. But, um, my mom told me I had to finish high school and I still had two more years left. And I told her that she was ruining my career because I had to be like in a class with other people at my level, um, to push me, um, and also male. And this, I mean, this happens for, for females too. They, they get to the top level. They're, they're younger than everybody else in the class. They're doing all the leading roles. And, um, it's kind of like, where else do they have to go from there? So yeah, for me, I told my mom, you're destroying my life. I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to have a career now. Uh, we made it happen within a year and, and then it worked out. But um, yeah, if you find that you are at the top of your top of the top class in your school and you've been there for a while um, and you still have a couple of years to go, um, that's usually a good time to consider moving on to uh, a pre-professional training program. Uh I'm not saying that you can't stay in one school. Um, and I, I said this before, it's really rare for somebody to get into, like be at a home studio that is strong enough and offers enough opportunities for them to just keep on training, training, training until um, they're ready to go pro and then they just have to audition everywhere. Um, it's super uncommon. It happens, but it's super, super uncommon. Um, Usually, once you sort of peek out of the school for like more than a year or two, that's when people will transition into one of those programs, and you go from being the the big fish in the small pond into the little fish in the big the big pond in the lake in the ocean. Um, yeah, so that's that. Okay, next finances. Finances are a big one um, because finances are not as straightforward as you think. They're Training programs are crazy expensive because there, there's multiple aspects to it. First off, you have the tuition for the program. Second off, you have housing, whether that's being in a dormitory or if that's like renting an apartment. Um, obviously, that includes like if you're in an apartment, utilities, cable, internet, um, food, all of that. Usually with the dormitory, they have a cafeteria and you don't have to worry about paying, like keeping the lights on. It's included in your tuition. Um, but... Yeah, so um, it's it's also like you have to think about point shoes if you're going for ballet and clothing and body care. Like if you, you get injured, you might have to get physical therapy, um, potentially like Pilates, gyrotonics, um, what else, massage to like take care of your bodies, um, things like that. Uh what else? And if you're not done with your academic training, um, if you're not doing, if you don't have access to like a public school, free free public school or free online school, um, that's another thing that might change now with like everything that's happened with the pandemic. But um, if there needs to be some money to make sure that your kid has a tutor or that they can take the program that they want or go to a professional school that they need to, to, um, make sure that they still get their education while they are finishing school. Um, I think that's, again, another reason why a lot of 
programs have been waiting until kids are uh, done with their high school because it's a lot easier to just like let them focus on their dance training than it is to uh, monitor them doing their academics at the same time. So yeah, it can be really, really expensive for uh, people to go. Now, obviously, there is the opportunity for scholarships, but again, merit scholarships, which means you earn them based off of like your talent. Um, a merit scholarship is not a given. It is um, something that is given and not given too frequently. So um, you can't just expect that that's going to be a part of it. Um, there are also financial need-based scholarships, depending on the program. Um, and usually you have to ask and you have to pretty much verify that there's a need for them to be able to give it to you. Um, so you definitely have to take your finances into consideration. Um because it's going to be like, it's, it's not just like, congratulations, you got in this program, you go like, there's, there's a bunch of logistical things that need to be in order from housing to academics, to food, to body care, to, uh, different, uh, needs of a dancer, depending on their gender and what style of dance they're training in. So finances. Okay. Last thing, I've talked about this a bit already, but housing. Um, housing is a big thing to consider because um, is is there a dormitory on site? Is there like a house for a small group of students on site with a chaperone or are you on your own? Um, it's. I know that a lot of people think that this would be more common, but it's actually really rare for a parent to move with their kid to a new city. Um, I have seen it happen. Usually it ends up like mom or dad, like they separate, not like they divorce, but like they separate and like say dad has a job that's in one place. Um, mom maybe goes and flies out to the city that the kid lives in and dad takes care of like the two kids that are in school locally where they, they're from and then mom stays with the kid who's training. It does happen, um, but that's very uh, stressful on family life. Um, what usually ends up happening is you end up sending the kid to live with another kid um, in, in an apartment if there isn't a dormitory situation. And then beyond that, there's the challenges of finding an apartment that's going to allow a child to live on their own, even if it's with another person. Um, so it, it just becomes very complex uh, because you can't go to a finishing program away from home without having a place to stay. I, I do know sometimes people luck out. Um, I know people that have only auditioned for summer programs um, in cities where they have family that they could stay with. And then they really push to get into that school for the year and they stay with family, like aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, people like that. Um, but that's that's even less common. So, yep. These are really the things that you need to consider if you're thinking about moving away from home to train. Um, I wanted to do this podcast now because everybody's preparing for their summer programs, but a lot of people go into their summer intensive, uh, their summer intensives with the hopes of getting into a year on program. So if you are one of those people and you're really thinking about like, is this the year that I really want to transition away from my home studio? Um, these are the things that I would look at, uh, whether you're looking at your kid, you're a teacher looking at a student, or if you are a student doing your own research, good on you if you are, um, and determining if this is something that you want to ask your parents for to really push to do this. So that is what I have to offer you this week.
Uh, I hope that you found this information helpful and interesting. Um, if you have any thoughts that you would like to add to this, you can always reach out to me on social media or my website, which I will give you in the outro. Um, also, it's been a while since I've done a an, an audience member uh recommendation for a podcast topic so if there's anything you want to hear me talk about in a future episode of pod the chat talking dance um you can also reach out to me on those uh methods of communication that i'll mention in, in a minute in the the outro so um i hope that you are enjoying a happy spring i hope that you are safe i hope that you are healthy um i hope that you're taking care of your mental health i just started counseling again like a week or, or two ago and um, the timing could not have been better. So I'm really happy that I'm doing that. I hope that you'll take it into consideration as well. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod the Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycrolls.com. Again, that's www.barrycrolls.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. If you'd like to check out my company, Movement Headquarters, you can visit www.movementhqballet.org. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollas, or on Twitter at Bariscos. You can also check out my company on Instagram at movement underscore headquarters. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I wrote for five years on Life of a Freelance Dancer about the traveling the country as a touring independent contractor, <laughs> as a dancer, um, and I, I documented that, and there are tools on there for you. I also wrote on Dancing Offstage, where I talked about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. Lastly, I have two YouTube channels if you want to check out my choreography. Uh, you can head to B Corollas to look at my own personal choreography. And if you would like to check out the work of Movement Headquarters, you can he- you can check out Movement Headquarters as well. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.